Welcome to another Mulready Minutes, a podcast about insurance for insurance people. We're going to dive deep into some insurance issues, speak to leading experts in the industry, talk about what is and isn't working in that space. Uh, we're going to dig into it all. Hi, Oklahoma Insurance Commissioner Glenn Mulready here uh, with another episode of our Mulready Minutes. We're excited to have another great guest and actually uh, another guest from our department here uh, with us. So um, we have uh, Heather McClure with us today, a um, absolute leader in the captive world. So today's topic is going to be about captive insurance. And so great to have uh, Heather here with us. And then Donald Ashwood uh, is our captive coordinator at the Oklahoma Insurance Department. So Donald has joined us for this this podcast. So we're excited to have Heather. Uh, I will read a little bit. Uh, As we speak, Heather is in the midst of a transition. uh, but she still is the queen of captives nationally here. <laughs> I just made up that name. Oh, you, great. You, I'll take you, it. You can take that. I'll take it. Um, but previously, Heather was uh, chief risk officer for OU Health, Oklahoma's comprehensive academic health system. It includes o- Oklahoma Medical Center, Oklahoma Children's Hospital, OU Medical Center, Edmond, Stevenson Cancer Center, OU Medicine Breast Health Network, and Valier uh, Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, Through that, handled all their risk management, all their captives. I will just leave it as that. Uh, Heather's an attorney. She's licensed in Oklahoma, Texas, and Vermont with a legal specialization in healthcare law. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn it to Heather to tell us about her new role that she just recently has, uh, has assumed. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And excuse me if my voice is a little bit raspy today. I've had allergies, and um, but my voice is back online, and, and hopefully we can make it through this without a, a coughing fit. I will tell you that um, I've, I've worked for OU Medicine in Oklahoma for the last 14 years. I'm an Oklahoma girl and came back to help them with their captive back in uh, 2007. It's been a wonderful journey and we've seen the captive grow and um, do so many things for not only the patients and providers at OU, but, but the citizens of Oklahoma as well. Uh, I just made a transition, as you as you stated, to Aon to be the chief risk advisor for the U.S. healthcare practice for Aon. Aon is the largest um, risk and insurance consulting brokerage in the world, and so um, still going to be based here in Oklahoma, my home state, and be traveling um, across the country to spread the good news about um, different. Uh, alternative risk financing tools, um, including captives, um, risk management, consulting, all that good stuff. So thank you again for having me here. Good. And so with the new um, promotion I've given you, you still get to keep that uh, moniker of queen of captives. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Some people have called me a cheerleader of captives (laughs) before. I like queen better, much better. Well, just a reminder, Mulready Minutes, we're here to talk about insurance, and we are we meet with some of the uh, giants in the industry uh, in different uh, arenas. And so uh, today's topic, of course, as mentioned, is captive insurance companies, which are created and owned by the entities that they insure. It's an oversimplification of what they do. But, um, uh, of course, one example of that that we opened with was OU and what Heather has done there uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, they were facing skyrocketing premiums. Uh, at times up to 300% increase in premiums and the Board of Regents made a decision to go a different direction and part of that direction was Heather. So Heather, maybe take a few minutes and tell us about what has happened there and how that all evolved and and walk us through your OU experience there. Sure, it's a great story and I love to tell it. I've told it a lot of times and um, 
um, it needs no embellishment because it really was is such a fantastic journey. So back in 2005, 2006, the Board of Regents looked at um, different ways that they could address the skyrocketing premiums that you um, alluded to, and and they landed on the model of a captive insurance company. So rather than being judged by the risk profile of other um, medical institutions across the country in very different jurisdictions, you know, in Cook County, Illinois, or in Florida, or in others where um, the, the juries were doing different things than they were mm. doing here in Oklahoma. Uh, they looked at how they could um, fund a solvent, in a solvent way, fund their risk, um, partner with experts across the country uh, in you know, in um, actuaries and auditors and others who were um, doing really great things in the captive space, but still um, manage their own risk and manage that funding here. So they started their captive. It incepted in um, March of 2006 and wrote their first um, policy in July to start in July 1st of 2006. Um, and have had a, 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 ha, they have a wonderful story to tell about um, really coming to grips with what that risk was, mitigating the risk, putting funding towards um, improvement in safety, patient safety, visitor safety, employee safety, um, establishing a board of directors that, um, again, partnering with the actuaries and others who were able to um, stabilize rates over those 15 years uh, that they've been in in practice and um, now they have a very sophisticated well-run captive that um, is meeting those needs yeah. from an insurance perspective so tell me other when when that started uh, did they start with just the medical center or did they do the full system right from the get-go or how did that evolve and then I guess secondly is looking back 2006 six early stages what were some struggles or things that you might have done differently? Or tell us about the, the, the launching, the start of that. Yeah, great question. So so they first started with the physician's practice, the academic faculty practice of the University of Oklahoma. So that's still a very large practice. It's now over a 1,000 credentialed providers um, in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa and in some satellite locations. So they started by writing physician's medical malpractice um, uh, uh, policies and the hospitals were not included at that time. The hospitals were being managed by HCA at the time and they had their own funding mechanism through their own um, captive uh, RRG system at that time. Early on, the, the, some of the great things they did were to really get high-level leaders involved um, and they looked at it, uh, I think, immediately as a, a risk financing tool a way to you know stop the um, flow of money out to commercial insurance companies and then not um, stop the bleeding so stop to speak. the hemorrhage <laughs> I almost use that word hemorrhage um, but it sounds almost too cute when you're talking about the medical system but that's that's just it they were hemorrhaging money at that point and so it was really a financial tool and it made a lot of and it does still today make a lot of financial sense to do that I think that early on, I would have encouraged um, them even earlier to put in programs that now are very well established there. 
um, risk grant programs um, where risk management is really looked at as the tool for risk avoidance or risk mitigation, um, and then empowering those on the front lines to come up with um, risk management ideas, um, you know, um, ideas for things that are happening in the daily practice that if, if they had funding um, or infrastructure in a certain place, the, the captive could, um, you know, put an amount of money towards that in pilot programs or larger programs to, to mitigate the risk. We ended up doing that later on. It was probably in our third, fourth, fifth year. Um, but knowing what I know now about how, how critical that's been to lowering risk and, and improving patient safety, I think we would have done that a little bit earlier. Yeah. And so um, in those early stages, I guess it's the Board of Regents' decision uh, ultimately, but um, did it take much convincing of leadership or, or sales or that part, of, part of that process? You know, I, I, I came on <clears throat> that that first year after the Board of Regents decided, but I know the history of it, and I know that there were some visionary leaders um, at the time who went in front of the Board of Regents and um, sort of staked their reputation on this idea that it could work. It was really a progressive idea at the time. Um, captives had been around in the country by then for um, over 20 years, 25 years, um, but but not really as many here in this part of the of the country. So, so it was new, and um, I think it took some leaders who really invested time and energy and their credibility into it to say this can work. Um, we've we we know it's worked in the past. We're partnering again. We're partnering with national, um, well-respected agencies. Um, who have done this before and they all come here to Oklahoma and help us establish this and and the Board of Regents was convinced and and they were right yeah and it's worked out well for them from a financial standpoint absolutely it's been a win-win it has poured um, it's saved millions tens of millions literally tens of millions of dollars um, for the University um, and allowed those funds to be deployed into operations, which really is a benefit for the citizens of Oklahoma. From a priority standpoint, uh, what do you think is most important? Um, in establishing a captive? What, yeah. yeah, yeah, claim services and Absolutely. ability to respond. And so what I tell people who are looking at the idea of um, starting a captive is that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be everything to everyone. You can start a captive and um, outsource a lot of uh, those those necessary services. So so yes, you have to have um, you have to have an actuary to help you look at the feasibility of you know funding a captive and where your um, where the money needs to be, what in reserves, um, in a pre prediction of what your losses are going to be in the future, and so how much you need to put where. Um, you have to have um, someone to handle claims that come in. Because you're transferring risk to this captive, um, the captive is going to have to fund, um, you know, the resolution of claims. So you can have, you can establish your own claims handling, um, or you can partner with third-party mm -hmm. administrators um, or, or other agencies to handle your claims. Um, you need to be able to issue certificates of insurance to those that you're going to tell you know that you're that you're insured um, for contracts or, or for, for whatever the industry is and so you can outsource that um, you can work with a captive manager 
to um, help put those insurance certificates in place and, and get those out depending on you know how many you do a year you're probably not going to want to do them in-house um, at the University of Oklahoma we do about seven thousand well just for the medical practice not not counting other lines we do about seven thousand insurance certificates a year so that could seem overwhelming but mm-hmm. but there are um, partners out there to help you with that um, other variables would be, um, you know, the risk management, depending on what industry you're in. Do you need to have risk managers on site? <clears throat> or can you partner with um, companies who have risk consulting services mm-hmm. to look at your entity or your your industry and help you put together safety programs? Because very soon when you, when you put the captive together, um, it, it there's no doubt it makes financial sense. There's no situation in which it does not make financial sense to do it. Um, but you're going to be very invested in the idea of lowering the risk of wanting to have less claims mm-hmm. um, and less injuries to your customers or your patients or um, your employees. And so you're going to want to invest heavily in um, risk mm-hmm. avoidance, and that's where you're gonna you're gonna want to focus. So those are all variables, though, that again you can do in-house or um, outsource. Yeah, and it just becomes serious when it becomes your own risk. Absolutely, so avoidance and mitigation. Um, it seems like you just own a little bit more than when you're farming that out. Absolutely, it's it's the difference between having an apartment and owning a home. It's it's your skin in the game, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think. Heather, some of the things you just just hit on, I think the message to those that might be considering or uh, uh, is that it sh- it shouldn't be too overwhelming. The thought of that, the, it's not too steep of a climb. All of that that right. you just talked about, all can be contracted out. You, so yeah. don't want anyone to think that uh, you've got to start out with 50 employees uh, exactly. to do all that. It's so, scalable, right. very scalable. Okay. That's the beauty of it. Good. And um, I introduced earlier uh, Donald Ashwood, who's our captive coordinator at the Oklahoma Insurance Department and does a great job interacting with uh, captives that are are domiciled in our state, as well as those that are uh, thinking of coming to our state. And so, um, Donald, I'm going to toss it to you and and, uh, not get into too much of the weeds of captives, (laughs) but uh, let you uh, shoot away at Heather here. Or what would you uh, presume to be the most critical component in a captive structure? Wow, uh, the most critical. So um, I would say um, the, the mission of the board. I would say it's gotta be really clear um, what the captive is um, doing, what, what its vision is, that it is, um, because then that frames the discussion the, the, the board has on any other issue, whether it's finance or claims or safety. Um, you know, if the mission of the captive is to sort of come alongside the policyholder in its core mission, there has to be a, a really close tie mm-hmm. to that. So if it is um, in healthcare, you know, it's going to have to do with um, improving patient safety and having less patient injuries. If it's in agriculture, it's going to have a different mission, right? The captive is going to align with the mission of the policyholder. Uh, it may not be exact, but it's it's got to really align in energy or in any other industry with the mission of its policyholder or policyholders. And so to really define that early is going to be very important. Okay. 2020 was an interesting year. Yes. It's a nice word to use, isn't it? Yes. Uh, uh, for all of us. Yeah. 
and was that it's over. Yeah, <laughs> amen, man. Uh, it's just ni- nice to be amongst people. Right? Yes. So, but discuss for a minute the effect the pandemic had on on the captive specifically. Right. But also, you, you have lots of national connections and what you've seen elsewhere. And tell us about any specific things that uh, how, how that was impacted. Right. So obviously, being in the medical world, it, it certainly had a huge impact on um, the hospital system. Um, and the physicians and those frontline providers and, and nurses um, and and our communities. And so obviously all of us know that. But, but what you might not know is that the captive um, really um, had its moment to shine during that year. That's what we built it for. And that's what, um, you know, those who are building captives or who are running captives in Oklahoma and elsewhere are building captives for to be there in times of crisis. And there was never such a time as there was in in 2020. So we knew right away we needed to convene as um, board board, um, directors and officers to figure out what could the captive do. Um, What we were seeing in our our system is that we were not able obviously to do elective surgeries for Mm -hmm. a time period. Um, it was affecting revenue. It was affecting our patients. It was um, really putting a halt to a lot of our operations, normal operations um, w- that we were not able to have during those surges um, in time. And so we needed to look at that critically. What did that mean for our risk? And what does it mean for the captive? Um, and, and what we felt is that it actually, in a, in a strange twist, lowered the risk um, that the captive was holding mm-hmm. for the um, entity. And so obviously, when we think about it, um, during that time frame when we were not doing those surgeries, the risk of doing surgeries wasn't there. It goes there, away. Yeah. Right? It goes away because all we were doing at that time was the trauma that came in. We had to continue operating mm-hmm. for trauma. Many of our clinics were shut down. Most of our clinics were shut down for some period of time. So there were physicians um, who were not practicing during that time period. So my bosses gave me the task, uh, wisely, of looking at um, how can we mathematically explore um, the percentage of risk in, di- in different specialties um, and for the hospital system who, who has been under our um, captive for the last several years. Um, what, what does that mean mathematically about the percentage of risk that um, was lowered? And so crunching some numbers, again, with actuaries and people who do math better than (laughs) better than a medical lawyer does, um, we were able to really uh, drill down on on what that meant and come up with a dollar figure that we felt it would be not only right and and ethical to do, but helpful to do at that time when, again, that revenue wasn't coming into the system. So the nimbleness of a captive allows that board who, who, who are, they're right there, you know, boots on the ground, um, embedded in the system to make decisions about finances that can help the policyholders. And so we returned um, back in, in April of 2020, May of 2020, wow. um, about a million and a half dollars to the physician's practice and the hospital practice um, in, in rebated premium because the risk just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. In, in addition, we were able to look at okay, so what's happening in the in the policyholders' world, in the in the hospital system, and physician practices world? We are having um, 
new providers that need to we need to come in and help us deal with the surge right we need uh, we have nurses traveling nurses we have uh, we need uh, physicians to staff our COVID ICUs um, that were full uh, we didn't have enough phys- physicians to be able to handle those <clears throat> so those physicians coming in and those nurses coming in what are how are they insured? We needed to look at um, how does that impact the, our risk profile? Are they coming in with different insurance plans that then, and we're not going to be able to have joint defenses? At the same time, we were work, working with um, Oklahoma legislature legislators and others on, you know, what does the um, liability look like for treating this pandemic, um, in, which w- without precedent of mm-hmm. you know standard of care that would apply to to an unknown um, virus, and so we, that joint defense being important to us, wanting to ensure people um, of the same um, for the same patient, you know how, how could we come alongside that problem? And so working with others, we were able to write endorsements to our. Um, um, captive insurance where we could credential and insure um, new providers who were coming into our system to help us in Oklahoma treat uh, those patients and that was really important. So again, showing the nimbleness and flexibility of a captive that you write your own policy. Mm-hmm. Of course it's got to be um, approved by regulators and it, it's it's got to be sound, uh, but we were able to do that very, very quickly and put an insurance um, endorsement on our policy, which allowed operators to get uh, physicians here to treat our patients. And that all happened within the space of 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, you use the word nimble, which is really a good good word. I mean, it allows you to respond much more quickly. Absolutely, than than calling a 1-800 number of an Uh insurance company that is, you know, not here and may not be, quite as familiar with the the problem that is happening inside those four walls yeah not tuned in well as we as we wrap up uh this piece heather you uh you've been referred to as a coach and a teacher for the captive model i I gave you a new title yeah i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) so elaborate on that a little bit just sort of the coach or teacher sort of uh I, I will. Thank you. I, you know, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm, I'm a fan of captives, <laughs> and um, I, I'm excited. You don't hide it. I don't <laughs> hide it because I'm proud of it, and I, I love to teach the model because it's really so simple. Um, it, it, and an Oklahoma girl like me caught on pretty quickly to um, this sort of niche. Um, field and it's it's growing and growing it's not so niche anymore because it makes sense Um, as you said before when you have skin in the game um, you're going to take care of that risk in a way that nobody else can and so I have loved um, that for the better part of my career being able to talk to other risk managers um, and talk to those in the insurance industry about this model. And it is not, what I love about it is it doesn't exclude commercial insurance. So you're gonna, you're gonna need with your captive to partner with the commercial insurance world. And there, every commercial um, insurance company also has specialists to uh, partner with, with um, clients' captives. And so it's, it's not like you have to choose captive versus commercial. You can have a captive that is reinsured through um, the commercial um, industry, and most times that that is what you're going to do. Um, 
it it just blends so blends so well with the the sort of moral philosophy. I don't want to get preachy, but of um, understanding your risk and not making it someone else's problem. Right. That's, That's how we question. teach our children, and the, and we we say you be accountable and responsible for the risk that you create. Um, and that's in your world, your family, your your business, and you deal with it. And uh, I, I just feel like that's as a society, it's it's a wonderful thing to have in a risk financing vehicle. Um, it's easy to implement, and and it's wonderful to be able to teach it. So thank you for having me here to talk about it. Good, good. Well, that's a good good wrap up. Thank you for being here, Heather and and Donald. Um, thank you for joining us on, on this uh, episode. Hope you, you've learned a little bit about uh, the captive world from the Queen of Captives. <laughs> and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>